HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to A Taste of the Past on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and today we are sponsored by Hearst Farms, and very happy that they have our, our sponsor today. Um, quite fitting, too, because today I've chosen to talk about charcuterie, or in other words, I want to get the skinny on bacon, <laughs> and charcuterie is, is actually, I, I guess the reason I chose it is because um, America has this newfound fascination with bacon, artisanal bacons, and cured meats, and uh, and things that Europeans have for so long taken for granted, and actually kind of cuts of meats and uh, products that were popular at one time and, and then fell out of popularity now are finding a newfound audience, um, particularly homemade ones, and I have with me a charcutier, Gabriel Ross. <laughs> Gabe Ross is the chef and charcutier, uh, difficult for me to say, which means he's the one who makes all the charcuterie, the cooked and cured meats, at Dixon's Farm Stand Meats in Chelsea Market in New York City. And I uh, happened to know Gabe well, walked in to my kitchen, and he was rolling pancetta. Another time he was stuffing sausage casings. So I know the guy really does make uh, cured and, um, and and smoked meats, and now he's got his own smoker. And welcome, Gabe. Thanks, Linda. It's good to be here. <laughs> you have you. In fact, in fact, you have quite a smoker. But we're going to get to smokers later. Um, and right before the show, we were talking about uh, differences between American, French, Italian. I mean, charcuterie really from comes from the French, meaning cooked meat. Exactly. You know, but but then it took on and was primarily pork primarily yeah and now it's come to take on a different meaning which is um cured basically just cured meats i mean it's a way in history that was it was very important right as a way for them to keep meat absolutely in uh in a time when there was no refrigeration and uh and most of the animal was was heavily salted uh the bits and pieces the scraps that uh couldn't be turned into 
say, a, a salami or something along those lines or a ham um, would be quickly ground up, mixed with whatever was on hand, um, and then cooked. Um, traditionally in France, it was uh, it was cooked in a pastry shell, uh, which was the, oh. the only Casing vessel the, the, right. <laughs> uh, available, um, and uh, placed in the bread oven, uh, usually after the bread had been baked and uh, and uh, cooked that way, and that way it was it was contained, it was portable, uh, and the pastry wasn't actually intended to be eaten; it was just the meat inside. It was a, it was a very crude, large pastry, like a salt a, dough, yeah, salt dough, right? Yeah. Um, well, and I mean now it's I mean then it took on much much more elegant forms, and uh, and so from France we know we well. Talking about the cooked charcuterie first, we have the rillettes and the pâtés and the terrines. Mm-hmm. Um, and but what is I think really um, interesting that's that's happening um, more that we find um, a real movement in our is the the cured meats charcuterie the the bacon the the guanciale well then no, that's Italian though the, mm-hmm. but the bacon's and the and the hams and I mean ham I mean goodness. Um, not smoked, but cured, and then, but then let's talk about the difference between when then. Sal- I mean, salumi in Italian is really charcuterie, and people often think salumi is just sort of a weird way of saying salami. It's not salumi; are the cured meats, really, right? Right, and that's what is that? That's the prosciutto and. Well, the word salumi comes from the Latin word for salt, so it it means anything salted, uh, which was the only way to preserve fresh meat for centuries mm-hmm. um it was uh it was standard procedure when you butchered uh, a hog um to immediately put as much as you could on salt um to preserve it fresh pork up until the advent of uh mechanical refrigeration fresh pork was very very rare um so in that sense, the, the, the charcuterie of the Mediterranean region was based on salt, whereas further north it was based on uh, both salt and, and cooking or smoking. Uh, it all comes down to climate, really. Hmm. Um, the, the fancy stuff that we associate with France was largely a product of, um, of the, the cities and the north where uh where the climate didn't lend itself to making a whole lot of dry cured sausages air cured products um so you would find a lot of uh cooked charcuterie um also still heavily salted i mean the the traditional methods for making uh say duck confit for instance which we're all pretty familiar with from restaurants uh involved salting the meat the duck legs or the, the goose legs, if it's goose confit, salting them very, very heavily. Before cooking it, before, before cooking in all that oil and, or fat. Hmm. Interesting. But, um, and these methods have been around for, I mean, as you point out, for centuries. I mean, mm-hmm. no, more oh, than centuries. Yeah, we've been, <laughs> eating, we've been eating pigs for a few thousand years now. Yeah, and... I mean sausage. I mean sausages. That's a whole other. That's a whole other ball game, and that's that goes back even further, probably. Um, as far yeah. as from like Chinese, it's six hundred BC. They say they they found evidence of the written and uh, and other evidence of fermented sausages, dried sausages, smoked sausages. Yeah, absolutely. The those preparations have been around probably as long as as uh, people have been trying to to hold on to their food. I mean. 
there's no incentive to preserve the meat if there's an abundance of fresh meat, but uh, in in some places there isn't, and the, they I'm sure people quickly discovered that both salt and fire were useful in in extending the life of their food supply and their lives as well. Exactly, <laughs> so that, that was the primary reason. So, what made you get interested in making? I mean, this is this is a time consuming, labor intensive process. Oh, what, yeah. what what made you? Just an obsessive desire to eat good food, or well, I was a, a professional cook for. for I forgot. Many to, years. I'm sorry. Yes, and I forgot to say, Gabe is a former chef, a restaurant chef. But I did say you were a chef. You're a chef in the in the farm stand. But I like to think that I'm retired. Uh huh. You're a little young for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I go. I interrupted so, you. Um, well, in in restaurants, uh, really in in the United States, you you only see this kind of French charcuterie. Uh, in restaurants, there are there are products available in in specialty food shops, uh, and more so in the last ten years than than ever before. So that how did you get into what, what to make to make it yourself? I mean, well, especially um, like the pen. I'm not the not the cooked riettes and things. I mean, that I understand. That's a fun. That's a that's a real cooking chef's kind of thing. But the cured meats. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever met a cook who didn't have a desire deep down inside to just put salt on a big chunk of meat and let it sit around for a few weeks. <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Partly because the end result is so delicious. Uh, we, as cooks, are exposed to a lot of these products and, and gravitate towards things that, uh, that are especially satisfying. Now, uh, the first time I tried a slice of salami in Italy, uh, I felt like I had been lied to my entire life because it was such an exceptional product and such a, a, a much more complicated and uh, and it was so it had so many subtleties that that the products that the salami I'd had in this country didn't have but at the same time I, I understood you know that that it was compelling because we I had always loved this stuff but um, being the light went off and then there was this these tender chunks of fat and oh, the and the silky taste of pork. The layers of you know acidity and saltiness and the, the the complex flavors that develop with aging. These are all things that make these products especially appealing. It's it's very much like cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now, but in and in speaking about that, very much like cheese. What what do you look for? What do what tastes do you look for when you're really Making a uh, an anal- you know an analysis or, or discerning a, a good quality sausage from a bad quality or ham, let's say different. I mean, I know from different types of prosciutto, but what? Tell me, what do you look for? What is what is it we we're looking for? First, or we should look for. You're looking for the taste of the meat. First and foremost, it's a meat product. Uh, if the if the person that made this product started with good quality meat, you should be able to taste it. It should taste like good meat. Beyond that, the next thing you're likely to taste is salt because that's the second ingredient in all of these preparations, meat, then salt. Beyond that, there may be some sweetness. Um, frequently in the better products, you'll, you'll find a, a, um, some acidity that's either uh, part of the meat flavor or is a result of a fermentation process. Mm. Um, with aging, uh, you get nuttiness. Uh, you you'll find uh, hints of even a fruitiness to it. Uh, depending on the amount of fat that's present, you may get buttery flavors. Uh, overall, though, 
it should taste like it should be to meet what whiskey is to beer a distillation of the the raw material and a and a a transcendent expression of you know what the animal is to us so we're really getting this essence of of meat well well let's and let's get back to you said it's it all has to start with good quality meat and we were primarily talking about pork, um, mm-hmm. pork sausages, bacon, mm-hmm. um, pancetta, now guanciale, guanciale being from the jowls or the, the cheeks. Um, let's talk about the pork. What uh, If you start with a bad piece of pork, you're going to get a bad ham. I mean... Yeah. Um, people who, who cure meat, I mean, the, the meat packers and the, the, the artisans all over the world uh, know this almost intuitively. There's... There's no way to make a good cured product out of bad pork, um, and so the the manuals that were that, that that I've seen from from the the 1930s, the 20s and 30s, and all of the you know the the, the texts uh, from the the French charcuterie schools, they all start with selecting your meat. That's the first step in the process, and the guidelines for selecting your meat, you know, aside from it should be fresh and it, it shouldn't be you know, stinky or, or off color <laughs> or any of those things. Uh, that's, that's obvious. Um, but you're looking for, a you know, a meat with a good texture. You're looking for meat that's, that's doesn't have a real high moisture content. You're looking for meat that's got good color. Um, and then even beyond that, uh, certain breeds, uh, with pigs specifically, there are breeds that have been developed specifically for curing. The, the most famous is probably the Blackfoot pigs of Spain, um, they're the Iberico ham. For the exactly. Iberico I mean, these these pigs are descended from uh, from stock that was developed by the Basques back in the Middle Ages, and these uh, the the Basques dealt in uh, mostly in hams and salt cod. Hmm. They had a thing for salt, and they had a thing for curing, and they developed a breed of pig that was specifically designed for curing. Uh, you rarely ever see fresh meat from these animals because they're so uh, they have the right ratio of fat to lean. They have high quality fat, um, and then they take to the salt very, very well. So that has a lot to do with diet, I'm sure, and their and their ability to to root and free range mm-hmm. and, and uh, well, in fact, I mean, in America, we didn't see a lot of of this um, lately. Good quality. Um, things like salamis and prosciuttos are we we bred the fat out of the pork. Oh yeah, it's been a it's been a, an obsession over the last fifty years in the United States to to lean the pigs down to the point where they were almost indistinguishable from chicken. You got it, tasteless that tasteless. Pe- they said the other white meat. Well, indeed it is. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> it white and tasteless, and it, um, nothing like the like a there was fatty a pig. there was a time in this country when the lard on the pig was more valuable than the meat. That's right. They were pork was raised for its fat. Yeah. Right. They would they would they would take the meat and and literally toss it to the side. Uh, as they were harvesting the fat from these animals because the lard was uh, used for everything from uh, making lamp oil to uh, lubricants to cooking oil, everything. I mean, lard was was paramount. And the, the pigs that 
that uh, that they raised for this purpose were would be unrecognizable to us today. I mean, they had very little musculature and huge amounts of fat. Hmm. Um, but over the last fifty years, we've seen the 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 um, the breeders working towards, uh, and th- and this also corresponds to the 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 uh, the rise in popularity of fresh pork um, as as a as a product. You know, something that people will eat every day. Uh, something that people expect to have on hand, um, and so the the pigs became more muscle and less fat. And then uh, when the the when the you know the diet trends went in the direction our, of, our diet trends, not the pigs, right? <laughs> yeah, when when our diet trends went in the direction of you know no fat, you know under any circumstances, uh, they discovered that they could breed most of the fat right out of these animals and so you get these these pigs that look like they look like bodybuilders i huh, mean they yeah. they have no no appreciable fat their their meat is extremely lean unfortunately it makes for terrible charcuterie <laughs> well and then the commodity um pork the the large breeders and processors um throughout america a lot of the practices were unsavory and not good for the land as well and the environment um so that that has been changing over the several years, right? right. Um, and we we are seeing some new breeds, some small farm breeds coming about. Absolutely, uh, the the resurgence of heritage breeds, um, while challenging for farmers and for retailers, um, is is a great thing because it it like like the resurgence of heritage. Uh, or heirloom vegetable varieties, um, it gives us a little bit more to play with. The genetic palette is a lot more diverse, and if a farmer needs a pig that does well outside on pasture, but at the same time, you know, is a long, good bacon hog, um, he can choose from a couple of different breeds to to, to develop his stock. Uh, whereas up until you know, up until maybe fifteen twenty years ago in this country. Uh, farmers were kind of at the mercy of the the breeders in terms of lean and mean. That's mm. all. That's all they got. These these pigs that were designed for for super lean meat and to be grown in confinement. Well, when, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, you said a buzzword: bacon. Long, <laughs> long bacon hog. <laughs> I want to know more about bacon when we come back. Bacon too, and we are here with Gabe Ross. Um, Gabriel is the chef and charcutier at Dixon's Farm Stand Meats. 
an interesting article was written um, in the Art of Eating last year about your um, your charcuterie, your um, both the cooked. Well, some of the sausage was mentioned, but mo- mostly your um, your cooked charcuterie. Mm-hmm. And just recently, uh, last week, there was a, a very nice piece about in New York Magazine about your um, a. a an accidental reintroduction of a pastrami style meat, a rolled beef. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about the well, tell me about the rolled beef first, because I just mentioned the article, and everyone's curious now. What's rolled beef? Well, up until uh, probably two months ago, when I read David Sachs's book Save the Deli, I had no idea what rolled beef was. I had never heard of this product, not because I'm not paying attention, but because it had essentially disappeared from the American food culture um, and from New York delis, the, the cradle of, of this product. Um, it's, uh, it's basically a pastrami that's designed to be sliced cold, like a cold cut, um, and used for sandwiches, like a cold cut. Uh, typically pastrami, as we know it here in uh, New York style delis and in in Jewish delis around the world is uh, is served hot, um, preferably sliced by hand, although more frequently now on a on a meat slicer, and um, and it's uh, it's a flat cut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's with tr- a nice layer of fat and oh, fat, yeah. fat and flat. Right? <laughs> exactly, uh, and so the 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 pastrami's that we know are are most traditionally made from a cut, uh, a beef cut called the navel, which is analogous to the belly on a pork, hmm. on a pig. Um, the You will see a lot of pastrami uh, made with brisket, uh, which is connected to the navel, although considered a separate cut. Um, and occasionally when you go to a deli, you know, a corner deli, you'll see pastrami that's that's round. It's, it's made from a, a part of the, the hind leg of the cow. Um, and that's that's generally considered to be an inferior product, and that that's so I won't I won't talk about that. <laughs> um, so the the navel pastrami, um, navel actually was a, a cut I had never heard of hmm. uh, before I started at Dixon's Farm Stand, and I was introduced to the cut, um, and at the time I I didn't even really grasp that it was the traditional cut for pastrami. pastrami. I thought pastrami was made from brisket. Um, which is understandable because a lot of places are making their pastrami from brisket. It's a it's a much more readily available cut. Um, the the we had a, a surplus of navels on hand at the store, and I was trying to work out a, a pastrami recipe. I'd experimented with uh, pastrami from the round, as I said before, an inferior product. I I, I couldn't make it as good as I'd like. Uh, I'd experimented with brisket, and I found it to be good, but not quite what I was looking for, um, especially since I was looking to make a product that we could serve, uh, that we could slice out of the cold case. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not doing hot pastrami sandwiches. You know, it's not, we're not set up like Katz's where we can, you know, slice by hand. So I I thought I would try and tweak it to to, to develop a, a pastrami that did well on the slicer as a cold cut and... Um, and our our meat cutter Adam introduced me to the rolled beef navel, which is a, a retail cut that we put in the case. You take the navel, which is kind of long and sl- sort of rectangular and and fairly thin, and you roll it up, 
Looks like uh, almost like a pancetta. Well, that's what I thought. It looked like a, a, a cured, smoked, steamed pancetta, and mm-hmm. yet it's beef, so you yeah. know, it makes it makes it all good. Well, the <laughs> the 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 funny thing is, when I first started thinking about pastrami, this was a few years ago, um, after having a superlative sandwich at uh, Kenny and Zook's in Portland, Oregon. I'd never really thought about pastrami seriously. It was just a, you know, deli meat. Right. Um, and I had this sandwich, and it, it just literally blew my mind. And I thought to myself, this is how you get beef to taste like bacon. <laughs> Which maybe takes some explaining. A lot of people don't know that pastrami is uh, is a cured and smoked product. Um, it's... It's similar to corned beef in that it's a piece of beef that's been brine cured um, or sometimes very rarely dry cured um, and then rubbed with spices and smoked, which I think accounts for a lot of its appeal. It's just it's it's there's something primal about that cured and smoked yeah, flavor. Yeah, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, it's got a depth of flavor, there's a lot of layers of flavoring, layering of flavors yeah. there, and and that's wonderful. Well, I think, you know, I was thinking about the, the fact that you serve this rolled and cold, cold and you know, rolled mm-hmm. up and, and cured, and, and then cold, cold sliced, and you serve it in your sandwiches, like, mm-hmm. and that's, but people just know that are eating pastrami in a sandwich, they don't, yeah. they don't know, they think they're eating rolled beef, rolled navel, because um, it's the same thing. And then what we're traditionally we're used to eating the hot pastrami, as you pointed out. I wonder if because the the hot pastrami, the fat seemed a little more acceptable to us. You know, it was more translucent, a little you know, or less less trans. I mean, more almost transparent. It was mm-hmm. it was, and you could pick it apart if you wanted to. But and the rolled navel, you really see that layer of fat, and that fat has the flavor. Oh yeah, but. You know, people. And once again, we get back to this in their diet. They're turned off to, to eating the fat, not realizing that's that was a flavor flavorful part. I don't know, but um, you mentioned that that um, it, making something taste more like bacon. Ah, we're back to the buzzword bacon. <laughs> okay, it's unavoidable. I, I love it. who doesn't <laughs> love bacon, right? Even dogs, right? <laughs> um, and well, in pastramiizing, um, pastrame or um, I think I, I looked up the word pastrami because I was curious about it, and as far as I could tell, it comes from maybe um, a Romanian or, or Turkish word um, pastirma or basturma from mm-hmm. pressed, like pressed meats. And pressing meats was a way of curing too, right? I mean, they would press it under lard and, and put lard over it or something. Uh, my understanding of, for the the Romanian roots of this product, uh, the the meat was it was beef and it was salted and pressed to get as much moisture out as possible mm-hmm. and then rubbed with spices and smoked smoked and okay. you can actually still buy this stuff um uh, last time i saw it i think i was at uh Calustians mm. on lexington and upstairs in one of the cold cases they've got some some uh, imported uh, i think it's turkish um but same idea the basturma which is Looks like a cross between pastrami and uh, brisala. Hmm. So it is dry. It's a, got a very dry, dry, very dry yeah. finish to it. Well, and uh, David Burke um, made quite a bit. The chef, chef David Burke, uh, kind of launched. And other people had been doing it at delis, but he um, did his pastramiized salmon. So it was mm-hmm. salmon pastrami. Well, you have done something interesting. You made lamb pastrami. 
correct? That was interesting. Yeah, interesting and delicious. Uh, The inspiration for that was a a restaurant in Brooklyn called Char Number 4, where the chef does a a lamb pastrami uh, salad. And I had no idea how he did it, but I I thought it sounded like a good idea, and the the salad was delicious. So we, uh, once again, faced with a surplus of uh, lamb bellies. (laughs) <laughs> and this sort of led into the eventual development of, of the, the rolled pastrami or the rolled beef that we have in the case now. Um, we took the, the lamb bellies, we cured them, I rubbed them with spices, we rolled them up into uh, something that looked very much like a pancetta, although much, much smaller, uh, and smoked them. And it was it was very tasty, and, um, and while unusual uh, i think accessible people seem to respond really well because that cured and smoked flavor is universal yeah and the curiosity to get that um all right for those uninitiated listeners can you give us a crash course in i mean quick because our <laughs> that clock keeps ticking difference between bacon and prosciutto and of course, not all bacon is equal, as we well know. So then we'll go on to talk about uh, in the inequalities or the quality bacon. But the dif- main difference between bacon and prosciutto. Do you mean pancetta? I mean pancetta. Yeah, sorry. It's all right. Pancetta. Um, <laughs> well, I'll start with bacon basics. A lot of people uh, aren't even aware of where the, the bacon comes from on the animal. Uh, bacon is... Maybe they don't want to know. <laughs> but, okay. It's pork belly. I mean, we've gotten to the point in this country where pork belly is on so many restaurant menus. We've all had it. Uh, we all sort of know... Wait a minute. Isn't that a Wall is. Street term, too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I could go into the, the origins of that with pork barrels and curing, but we'll we'll say that for another show. Okay. Um, so, pork belly. You take a pork belly. Now, th- it's also interesting that a lot of people don't realize that bacon is cured and smoked. Uh, I've talked to customers who thought that bacon was just a raw meat, that it was cut right from the pig, tasting just like that. And they wanted to know why that <laughs> what pr- pig part of the pig tasted so good. Um, so you take a pork belly um, and you cure it. Now, curing is a, is a word that, that is tossed around, but is, isn't generally, uh, people don't really know what it means. Um, in its most basic sense, curing just means rubbing it down with salt and letting it sit for a little while, letting that salt penetrate. Um, The FDA defines curing as uh, the use of salt in combination with a curing agent, which is either sodium nitrite or sodium nitrate. Uh, Other curing agents like uh, the ammonium salts of nitrate, those are no longer used. Thank goodness. Uh, Saltpeter, which is... um, Potassium nitrate is also no longer used. Uh, we, we're pretty much sticking to sodium nitrate and sodium nitrite, and mostly nitrite now because it's faster. So you take salt, you take a little bit of this sodium nitrite, and you rub it on the meat, and you let it sit, and a very complicated set of chemical reactions take place. Um, mostly what, what we care about is the flavor mm-hmm. and the color. So the, the, the nitrite, when the, the meat is cooked or, or, or heated uh, up to about 140 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, turns it bright pink. It's that ham color. It's that hot dog color. Mm-hmm. It's the color of... Same smoking meat color you get when you in your, on your barbecue when you smoke something. Right. right. 
So you, you get that characteristic color, which is very appealing because, as I've learned in, in retail, nobody wants to buy gray meat. Mm. It just doesn't look as good. Uh, and you get this characteristic cured flavor. Now, in excess, the the, the curing salts, the, the, the nitrites and nitrates, will, will make everything taste like hot dogs. But used in moderation, you get what the... You get that slightly hammy, bacony flavor that's just very, very, very tasty. Um, and then the last step is uh, is smoking for bacon, um, and that's a, a process that just gives some. You you hang it in a smokehouse um, traditionally for for several weeks uh, in at, at a temperature well below fifty it's a degrees. Real low smoke. Yeah, that's that's the old way. The new way is a little different. It's faster. It's a little warmer. Um, but you just put some smoke on that cured meat, and then uh, it's ready to go. At that point, you can eat it raw if you like, although it's much better fried up crispy. Mm. Um, pancetta, pancetta is uh, is an unsmoked pork belly that's been cured usually without even... Well, in this country, nitrites are, are used, but uh, traditionally in Italy, they don't. They just salt it and then use it much the way that uh that Americans used to use salt pork. Uh it's it's mostly for cooking. It's mostly for cutting up mm-hmm. and you fry it up. It does. It just gives that uh, just that different flavor. About, I mean, and you, I'm, I've watched you rolling your pancetta, and you really get a real tight roll on mm-hmm. that, and and then um, put it in that um, netting, the twine netting of the um, string. About how mo- how much moisture does it lose during the the uh, that depends. The salting process? That depends a lot on the ratio of lean to fat. the The more fat there is, the less moisture there is to lose. Uh, the more lean there is, the more you know meat. Is has a lot of water in it, whereas fat doesn't. So, um, for a, I I prefer a much fatter belly for pancetta Mm -hmm. and for bacon, uh, which means that you don't lose very much in the process, in the drying process, in the salting process. But is it a faster process? It's a faster process too. Pancetta, um, or how long does it have to cure? It it depends. the 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 salt curing itself really for a nice fat belly only takes about uh two weeks so you can really process you know and then you can cook with it well as much as i mean i use it a lot to cook with (laughs) i know you do too so you have to um process a lot of it just to keep us in business right and especially the restaurants uh do you find that more uh restaurants in to your knowledge or people coming into the shop are using more homemade more artisanal made products in their in their cooking well, I have a skewed view because everything we sell is oh, okay. is artisanal, <laughs> is handmade. Um, so the, our customers are talking um, to other chefs, then. <laughs> but talking to other chefs. Uh, certainly in restaurants, I know a lot of cooks that are making their own pancetta, just because it's they have a little more control. There are great products available. I mean, there there are producers that are turning out uh, a beautiful pancetta. Um, yeah, Carlo, the chef here at Roberta's, where we we. Um, record here at Roberta's Pizza in, in uh, Brooklyn. And Carlo and his father do some all their own cured meats and doing some really um, fine. Yeah, food. once you figure out how easy it is to do something like that. It's Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep yourself Secrets in out. demand. Right, right. Well, um, it, I, my congratulations to you for all the wonderful articles that have been written about your product. And we didn't even get a chance to talk too much about the, the cooked um, products, but I I can attest to the fact that I 
the the articles were not wrong. Your riettes, your cooked riettes and, and terrines and pâtés are wonderful. But, of course, bacon is always the first love. And I thank you so much. Anyone who happens to be in the New York City area, you can try some of these products at Dixon's Farm Stand Meats. Um, just ask for their charcuterie. And I thank Gabriel Ross for being my guest today. And you have been listening to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio. Thank you. Thank you.